Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. The Orkneyinga Saga, Chapter 104 of the Earls When the Earls Harold and Roggenwald had made peace with Svein, Asleif's son, they were always together, and Roggenwald governed, but they agreed very well. When they came home from Selingar, Thorbjorn Clerk went to Earl Harold and became his counsellor. Svein went home to Garrixi and resided there during the winter with many men living upon his booty and other stores which he possessed there in the islands. He was most attached to Earl Roggenwald. Every summer he went out on marauding expeditions. It is said that Thorbjorn did not improve the harmony between Harald and Earl Roggenwald. Thorarin Kilinef was one of Earl Roggenwald's men, a great friend of his, and was always with the Earl. A man named Thorkel was one of Thorbjorn Clerk's followers, and a friend of his. Thorarin and Thorkel quarrelled over their drink at Kirkjuvag, and Thorkel wounded Thorarin, and then escaped to Thorbjorn. Thorarin's companions pursued Thorkel, but Thorbjorn and his men defended themselves in a loft. The earls were informed of this, and they went to part them. Thorbjorn refused to leave the decision of his case to Orogenwald, as it was his men who were concerned in the pursuit. When Thorarin had recovered from his wounds, he slew Thorkel as he was going to church. He ran into the church, but Thorbjorn and his men pursued him. Earl Roggenwald was told what was happening, and he went there with his men, and asked Thorbjorn whether he was going to break the church open. Thorbjorn said the church ought not to shelter him who was within. Roggenwald said there should be no violation of the church at this time, and Thorbjorn was pushed away from it. No agreement was come to about this case. Thorbjorn went over to Caithness and was there for a while. Then many things happened to estrange them, for Thorbjorn was often guilty of violence to women and of manslaying. He went secretly out to the Orkneys in a boat with thirty men and landed at Skalpid and walked to Kirkjuvag with three men. In the evening, he went alone into an inn where Thorarin was drinking and struck him a death blow immediately. Then he ran out into the darkness and far away. For this, the Earl made him an outlaw in every part of his dominions. Thorbjorn went over to Ness and remained in hiding with his brother-in-law, Hosvir, who was called the Strong. He had married Thorbjorn's sister, Ragnild, and their son was Stefan Radgiafi, Thorbjorn's follower. Shortly afterwards, Thorbjorn went to Malcolm, King of Scots, and remained there a while, in high favour with the King. There was a man called Gila Odrin with the King of Scots. He was of a great family, but a violent man. He had incurred the displeasure of the King of Scots for violent acts and manslaughters, which he had committed in his kingdom. He fled to the Orkneys and the earls received him. Then he went to Caithness and acted as a steward for the earls. There was a noble bondy in Caithness by the name Helgi, a friend of Orogenwald's. Gila Odrin quarrelled with him about the stewardship, 
and Gilorjan attacked and killed him. After the slaughter, he went west to Scotland's fjord and was received by a chief named Sumerlidi Holt, who had possessions in Dalier on Scotland's fjord. His wife was Ragnhild, the daughter of Olaf Biting, king of the Sudriar. Their sons were King Dufel, Rogenwald, and Engel. They were called the Dalveria family. Earl Rogenwald sent for Spain Asleaf's son before he went out on his expedition. When they met, Rogenwald asked him to have an eye on Gilla if he had the opportunity. Svein said he did not know how far he might succeed. Chapter 105 Svein Slays Sumerlidi Then Spain went on a marauding expedition, having five longships. When he came to the west of Scotland's fjord, he heard that Sumerlidi Holt had gone aboard a ship and was about to set out on an expedition. He had seven ships, and Gilodron commanded one. He had gone into the Firths to bring up some troops that had not arrived. When Spain heard of Sumerlidi, he gave him battle, and it was a fierce fight. Sumerlidi Holt was killed in that fight, and many men with him. When Svein became aware that Gilodron was not there, he went in search of him, and slew him in Murkvifort, and fifty men with him. Then he went out on his expedition, and returned home in the autumn as was his custom. He went to see Orogenwald soon after his return, and he was much pleased with these deeds. Chapter 106 Of Earl Rogenwald and Earl Harold Every summer the earls were wont to go over to Caithness and up into the forest to hunt the red deer or the reindeer. Thorbjorn Clerk was with the King of Scots, and sometimes he went to Caithness and stayed in hiding with his friends. He had three friends in Caithness whom he trusted most. One was his brother-in-law, Hosbir, the second, Leotolf, and the third was Halvard, Dufus' son. All these were his intimate friends. Chapter 107 The Slaying of Earl Rogenwald When Earl Rogenwald had been an earl twenty-two winters from the time that Earl Paul was taken prisoner, the earls went over to Caithness during the latter part of the summer as usual, and when they came to Thorsa, they heard a rumour to the effect that Thorbjorn was there in hiding with not a few men, and he intended to attack if he had the opportunity. Then the earls called men together, and went with a hundred men, twenty of whom were on horseback and the rest on foot. In the evening, they went up into the valley, and they took up their quarters for the night. When they were sitting by the fire in the evening, Orogenwald sneezed very much. Earl Harold said, That was a loud sneeze, kinsman. In the morning, they went along to the valley. During the day, Orogenwald rode always ahead of his men, and a man with him called Asolf, and another by name Yomar. These were his kinsmen. They rode five together along Kalfadal, and when they came to the farm, Farmer Hosgold was at the top of a cornstack piling up corn which his servants brought to him. Earl Harold was some distance behind. When Hoskold recognised Earl Rogenwald, he saluted him by name and asked for news, speaking very loudly, so that he could be heard far away. This was a short distance from the sitting room of the house. The homestead stood on an eminence, and one had to go through a narrow and very steep passage up to it. Thorbjorn was at this farm, and was sitting indoors drinking. The passages led to the end of the house close to the gable, 
which had a door filled loosely with stones. Thorbjorn and his men, hearing the words of Hoskuld when he saluted Earl Roggenwald, seized their weapons, pushed the stones from the concealed door and ran out. Thorbjorn ran round the gable and onto the wall of the passage. The Earl was then close to the door. Thorbjorn struck at him, and Asolf warded off his blow with his hand, and it was cut off, and then the sword touched the Earl's chin, inflicting a great wound. On receiving the blow, Asolf said, Let them serve the Earl better, who have to thank him for greater gifts. He was then eighteen winters old, and had lately entered the Earl's service. Earl Roggenwald was going to jump off his horse, and his foot stuck fast in the stirrup. At that moment, Stefan arrived and stabbed him with a spear, and Thorbjorn wounded him again, but Jormor stabbed Thorbjorn in the thigh, the spear entering the bells. Then Thorbjorn and his men ran behind the homestead and down a steep bank into a wet morass. Then Earl Harald and his men arrived and met Thorbjorn. They recognised each other, and the Earl's men, when they knew his intentions, advised to pursue him. But Earl Harald dissuaded them from it, saying that he wished to wait for Rogenwald's opinion. Because, said he, I am very intimately connected with Thorbjorn, as you know, both through relationship and other ties. Those who were with Earl Rogenwald stood sorrowing over his dead body, and some time passed before Earl Harald heard the news. Thorbjorn and his men had got out on the bog, and across the moss hag running along it. But through the urgency of the Earl's followers, he and his men ran down to the bog, and they met the moss hag, the two parties standing on either side. Thorbjorn's party defended themselves from the bank, and his followers ran to assistance from the neighbouring homesteads, until they were fifty in number. They defended themselves bravely, for they had a strong position. The Mosshag was both deep and broad, and the bog was soft, so they could only hurl spears at each other. Thorbjorn told his men to throw none back, and when the Earl's party had exhausted their missiles, they spoke to each other, and Thorbjorn called to Earl Harald, saying, Kinsman, I wish to ask you to give me quarter, and I am willing to leave the decision of this case entirely in your hands. I will reserve nothing which may contribute to your honour. I also think, kinsman, you must remember that there have been quarrels in which you would not have made such a difference between Oroganvold and me, that you would have killed me for having done this deed. When he had you under his thumb, and left you no more power if you had been his page, I gave you best gifts and endeavoured further to honour you in every way I could. The deed which I have committed is indeed a great crime, and weighs heavily upon me, but the whole of his dominions revert to you. You may also know that Roggenwald intended for me the same fate which he has met at my hands. And I suspect, kinsman, that if it so happened that I were dead, and Earl Roggenwald alive, you would not have quarrelled with him, and yet you wished to take my life. Thorbjorn urged his case with many fair words, and many pleaded for him, and begged that quarter might be given to him. And at last, when so many had pleaded, the Earl began to listen to them. Then Magnus, son of Guni, Harvard's son, a chief and kinsman of the earls, and the noblest born of Earl Harald's followers, took speech as follows. We are not able to counsel you, Earl, after these great deeds, but I shall tell you what will be said of quarter is given to Thorbjorn when he has done such a deed, and even dared to say your face, almost in so many words, that he has done this wickedness in your interest or for your honour, 
and it will be an everlasting shame and dishonour to you and all the Earl's kinsmen if he is not avenged. I think Earl Roggenwald's friends will believe it to be the truth, that for a long time you have been planning his death, and that it is your plan which has now been accomplished. Do you think he will acquit you from complicity in his guilt, when he has to defend himself, since there is no one who says a word for you, when he tells you to your face that he has committed this crime in your interest? How better can you confirm this suspicion than by now granting him peace? I have resolved for my part never to give him quarter. If any dotty men are willing to follow me, whether you like it or not. His brother Thorstein and Hakon and Svein, Rold's son, spoke to the same effect. Then they left the Earl and went along by the moss hag, trying to find a place where they might cross. When Thorbjorn saw Magnus and his followers walking along the moss hag, he said, Now I suppose they must have disagreed in their councils. The Earl has wished to give me of peace and Magnus has just spoken against it. While they were thus talking, Thorbjorn and his men went farther away from the moss hag. Harold's party stood on the brink, and when he saw that no quarter would be given, he leapt across in full armour, though it was nine ells broad. His followers leapt after him, but none of them were able to leap so far, and most of them caught the bank and crawled up out of the mud. Thorbjorn's men urged him to advance against Magnus and his men, and decide the matter with them. But he said, I think the best plan is that each of you do what he thinks likely to be best, but I shall go to Earl Harold. Most of his men dissuaded him from this, and begged him rather to flee to the woods and save himself. He did not, however, accept that advice. Then his followers left him, and tried to save themselves in various ways, and at last there were eighty men only with Thorbjorn. When he saw that Earl Harold had crossed the ditch, he went to him and fell on his knees, saying that he brought his head to him. Many of the Earl's men asked that peace might be given to him, and the Earl said, Save yourself, Thorbjorn. I have not the heart to kill you. While they were talking, they moved down the valley along Kalfadalsa, and Magnus's party pursued them. When the Earl saw it, he said, Save yourself, Thorbjorn. I will not fight for you against my men. Then Thorbjorn and his men left the Earl's party, and went to some deserted shillings called Asgrim's Ergen. Magnus's party pursued them, and set the buildings on fire immediately. Thorbjorn and his men defended themselves bravely, and when the buildings began to fall down with the burning, they went out and were attacked by the other party with weapons, as soon as they could reach them. They were already very much exhausted by the fire, and fell there all nine. When Thorbjorn's wounds were examined, it was found that the intestines protruded through the wind inflected by Yomar. Earl Harold led his men down the valley, but those who were with Magnus went to force, wrapped up Earl Roggenwald's body, and brought it down to Thorsa. Chapter 108 The Removal of Earl Roggenwald's Body Roggenwald Galley died five nights after the summer Mary Mass. Earl Harold brought the body with a splendid following to the Orkneys, and it was buried at Magnus Kirk, and there it rested until God manifested Roggenwald's merits by many and great miracles. Then Bishop Bjarni had his holy remains exhumed with the permission of the Pope. Where the blood of the Earl fell on the stones when he died, it may be seen to this day, as fresh as if it had just come from the wounds. Earl Roggenwald's death was much lamented, 
because he was popular in the islands and in many other parts. He had been helpful to many, was liberal with his money, gentle and a true friend, highly accomplished and a good scald. He left a daughter, Ingigert, an only child, who was married to Eric Slagbriller. Their children were Harald Ungi, Magnus Mangi, Rogenwald, Ingeborg, Elin and Ragnahild. Chapter 109 Of Harald and Svein After Rogenwald's death, Harald took possession of the whole of the islands and became their sole ruler. He was a mighty chief and a man of large stature and great strength. His wife was a Freka, and their children were Heinrich, Hakon, Helena and Margaret. When Hakon was only a few winters old, Svein Asleif's son offered to foster him, and when he was able to take his part with other men, Svein took him out on marauding expeditions every summer and honoured him in everything. Svein used to reside at home in Garrixi in the winter, keeping their eighty men at his own expense. He had such a large drinking hall that there was none equal to it anywhere else in the Orkneys. In the spring he was very busy sowing a large breadth of seed, and he usually did a great part of the work himself. When his work was finished, he went every spring on marauding expeditions. He plundered in the Sudriar and Ireland, and returned home after midsummer. This he called Spring Viking. Then he stayed at home till the fields were reaped and the corn brought in. Then he went out again, and did not return until one month of winter had passed. This he called Autumn Viking. Chapter 110 Svein Goes to Ireland Once it happened that Svein went out on a spring expedition, taking with him Hakon, the son of Earl Harald. They had five rowing ships, all large. They plundered in the Sudriar. All the inhabitants were so afraid of him, they hid all their movable property in the ground or in heaps of loose stones. Svein went all the way to Man and obtained very little booty. Then they went to Ireland and plundered there, but when they were approaching Dublin, two merchant ships came from England, laden with English cloth and other merchandise. They were going to Dublin. Svein made for the vessels and offered them battle. There was very little resistance by the English, and Svein's party took every penny in the vessels, leaving to the Englishmen only what they stood in and a small quantity of provisions. They sailed away in the vessels, but Svein's party went to the Sudriar and divided their booty. They sailed from the west with great pomp. When they were lying in their harbours, they covered the ships with the English cloth, to make a show. And when they sailed to the Orkneys, they sewed the cloth upon their sails. And it looked as if the sails were made entirely of the fine stuff. This they named the Scrud Viking. Svein went home to his estate in Garrixi. He had taken a large quantity of wine and English mead from the vessels. When he had been at home a short time, he invited Earl Harold and prepared a splendid feast for him. When Earl Harold was at the feast, a great deal was said of Svein's magnificence. The Earl said, I wish, Svein, you would now leave off your marauding expeditions. It is good now to drive home a whole wagon. You know that your plundering has fed you and your men a long time. But to most men of violence, it happens that they perish in their raiding, if they do not leave it off in time. Svein looked at the earl and said, smiling, This is well said, my lord. You have spoken like a friend. It is good to take sound advice from you, 
Some complained that you are not an overjust man yourself. The Earl replied, I must be responsible for my own acts, but I spoke as it occurred to me. Svein replied, Your intention is no doubt good, my lord, and it shall be so, that I will discontinue my marauding expeditions, for I am getting old. My strength is wasting away in the wet and work in the fighting. I am now going to make an autumn expedition, and I wish it to be not less glorious than the spring one. Then I shall leave off war going. The Earl replied, It is difficult to know, comrade, which comes first, death or lasting fame. Then their conversation ceased. When Earl Harold left the feast, honourable gifts were presented to him, and he and Svein parted very good friends. Chapter 111 Svein Asleaf's Son's Last Expedition Shortly after this, Svein prepared to go on a marauding expedition with seven longships, all of them large. Hakon, the son of Earl Harald, went with him. They went first to the Sudrier, and there they found little booty. Then they went to Ireland and plundered there in many places. They went all the way south to Dublin, and took the inhabitants by surprise, so that they did not know till they were in the town. They took a great deal of plunder, and took captive the rulers of the city, and their negotiations ended in the surrender of the town to Spain, and they promised to pay as much money as he might levy on them. He was to quarter his men on the town, and have the command of it, and the Dublin men confirmed this arrangement with oaths. Spain and his men went down to their ships in the evening, but in the morning they were to come to the town and receive hostages from the inhabitants. Now it is to be told what was going on in the town during the fight. The rulers of the town had a meeting, and considered the difficulties in which they were placed. They thought it a grievous hardship that they should have to surrender their town to the Orkney men, especially to him, whom they knew to be the most exacting man in the whole West. And they came to the determination to pay him false if they could. They resolved to dig large pits inside the city gates, and in many other places between the houses, where it was intended that Svein's men should come in and armed men were hidden in the houses close by. They placed such coverings over the pits as were sure to fall in when the weight of the men came upon them. Then they covered all over with straw so that the pits could not be seen, and waited until morning. Chapter 112 Svein Asleaf's Sons Fall the next morning Svein and his men arose and armed themselves and went into the town, and when they came near the gates the Dublin men ranged themselves on both sides from the gates along by the pits. Svein and his men, not being on their guard, fell into them. Some of the townsmen ran immediately to the gates, and others to the pits, and attacked Svein's men with weapons. It was difficult for them to defend themselves, and Svein perished there in the pit, with all those who had entered the town. It is said that Spain was the last man who died there, and he spake these words before his fall. Know all men, whether I die today or not, that I am the holy of Roggenwald's henchman, and my confidence is where he is with God. Spain's surviving followers then went to their ships and put out to sea, and nothing is said of their voyage until they came to the Orkneys. Here is the end of Spain's history. And as it has been said that he was the greatest man in the western lands, either in old times or the present day, 
of those who had not had a higher title than he had. After his death, his sons Olaf and Andres divided their patrimony. The next summer, after his death, they raised the end walls of a large drinking hall, which he had in Garrixi. Andres, the son of Svein, married Frida, the daughter of Kolbein Hruger, and sister to Bishop Bjarni. Chapter 113 of Earl Harold and his sons Now Earl Harold ruled the Orkneys, and was a great chief. Afterwards he married Varflot, the daughter of Earl Malcolm. Their children were Thorfinn, David, John, Gunhild, Herborga, and Langlith. When Bishop William II was dead, Bjarni, the son of Kolbein Hruga, was made bishop after him. He was a very great man, and a dear friend of Earl Harold. Bishop Bjarni had a large party of kinsmen in the islands. The sons of Eric Slagbriller were Harold Ungi, Magnus Mangi, and Rugenwald. The brothers went east to Norway to see King Magnus, and he gave Harold the title of Earl and one half of the islands, which had belonged to the Holy of Rugenwald, his mother's father. Harold Ungi went to the west, and with him Sigurd Murt, the son of Ivar Gali, the mother of Ivar, who fell at Acker with Erling Skaki, was the daughter of Havard Gunny's son. Sigurd Mert was young, handsome, and a great dandy. Magnus Mangi remained with the king, and fell with him in song. Harold Ingi and his followers first came to Jutland. Then they went over to Caithness, and then into Scotland, to William the King of Scots. Earl Harold requested King William to give him half of Caithness, which Earl Rogenwald had held. The king granted him this, and Earl Harold went to Caithness and gathered troops. Then Lifolf Scali, his brother-in-law, came to him. He had many noble kinsmen there. Lifolf had married Ragnhild, the sister of Earl Harold. He was called Earl Harold Ungi, the younger, but Harold Madad's son, the elder. Lifolf had the command of the earl's troops. They sent men to the Orkneys, to Earl Harold to the elder requesting him to give up one half of the islands, since the king had given them to Earl Harold Ungi. When the earl received this message, he absolutely refused to divide his dominions on any condition. Lifof Scali was the messenger, and the earl upbraided him greatly before he left. After this, Earl Harold the Elder collected troops and obtained a great many. Earl Harold Ungi's partner were in Caithness, and had some gathering too. When they heard that Harold the Elder was collecting troops, they sent Lefoff a second time across the Pentland Firth to gather information about the enemy's forces. He landed east in Vrogensvaldsee and ascended a hill, where he found three of Harold's watchmen. Two of them he killed, and one of them he took with him for information. Then Lefoff saw the Earl's fleet, which consisted of many ships, most of them large. He went down from the hill to his boat and told his companions what he had ascertained. He said Earl Harold had so large an army that it was quite hopeless for them to fight with him. I would advise, said Lefolf, that we should go today to Thorsa, and there many troops will come to us at once. If you wish to offer battle to Earl Harold now, it is most imprudent, whatever the result may be. They did not go to Thorsa, but shortly after they saw Earl Harold's fleet coming from Rogenvaldsee, and then they prepared for battle. Earl Harold went on shore and placed his men in battle array. They far exceeded the others in number. Sigurd Mert and Lefolf arranged the troops of Earl Ungi. 
The former was dressed in scarlet tunic and tucked this shirt under his belt. Some said that the same should be done behind, but he told them not to do it. For, said he, I shall not go backwards today. Leifolf and Sigurd led one wing each, and when they had arrayed their men, the battle began with great fury. Among the troops of Earl Harold, the elder, there were many hardy, fierce and well-armed men, the bishop's kinsmen and many others of the Earl's champions. When the battle had lasted for a while, Sigurd Mert fell, having borne himself well and bravely. Leifolf behaved the most valiantly of them all. The Caithness men said he broke three times through the ranks of Earl Harold's men, yet he fell in this fight after having earned great fame. When they were both dead, Leifolf and Sigurd Mert, Earl Ungi's men fled. Earl Harold Ungi fell at some turf pits, and that very night a great light was seen where his blood fell on the ground. People said he was truly a saint, and there is now a church where he fell. He is buried in Caithness. Innumerable miracles are by God granted through his merits, which testify that he wished to go to Orkney to his kinsmen, Earl Magnus and Earl Roggenvold. After the battle, Earl Harold subdued the whole of Caithness and went back, triumphant, to the Orkneys. Chapter 114 Of the Orkney Men William, King of Scots, heard that Harold Ungi had been killed, and also that Earl Harold Madad's son had subdued the whole of Caithness without asking his leave. He became enraged at this, and sent his men to the Sudriar to Roggenwald Gudrod's son, the king of the Sudriar. Gudrod's mother was Ingeaborg, daughter of Earl Hakon, Paul's son. King Roggenwald was the greatest warrior then in the western lands. The three winters he had been out in warships without coming under city rafter. When this message came to Roggenwald, he collected an army from all the kingdom of the Sudriar and from Sitiri. He also had a large army from Ireland. Then he went north to Caithness, took possession of the whole of the territory and remained there some time. Earl Harold kept in the Orkneys and took no heed of the king's movements. Towards the winter, King Roggenwald prepared to go home to his dominions in the Sudriar. He left three stewards over Caithness. One was Manny, Olaf's son, the second Raffin, the lawman, and the third Leifolf Ali. Sometime after, King Roggenwald returned to the Sudriar. Earl Harold sent a man over to Caithness, saying that he would consider his journey a lucky one if he could kill any of the stewards, or all of them. This man was brought across the Pentland Firth, and he went on till he came to Lawman Raffin. Raffin asked him where he was going, and he had little to say in reply. Raffin said, I can see in you that Earl Harold has sent you over here for some evil purpose, but I have not the heart to slay you, because you are my kinsman. Thus they parted, and he went away to Leifolf, and their intercourse ended in Leifolf's murder. Then he fled to the Orkneys to Earl Harold, and told him what he had done. Chapter 115 Harold Tortures the Bishop Now Earl Harold prepared to leave the Orkneys, and when he was quite ready he went first to Thorsa, and landed from his ships there. The bishop was in the Borg Escarabolstad. When the Caithness men saw Earl Harold's army, they perceived it was so numerous that they had no chance to withstand them. They were told also that the Earl was in such an evil temper that there was no knowing what he might do. 
Then the bishop took speech and said, If our dealings turn out well, we will give you peace. They did as the bishop told them. The earl's men rushed from the ships up to the borg. The bishop went to meet the earl and saluted him with bland words, but their dealing turned out in this way, that Earl Harold had the bishop seized, his tongue cut out, and then he caused a knife to be thrust into his eyes and blinded him. Bishop John prayed to the Holy Virgin Trolhena during his torture, and then he went on a certain bank when they let him go. There was a woman on the bank, and the bishop asked her to help him. She saw that blood was flowing from his face and said, Be silent, my lord, and I shall willingly help you. The bishop was brought to the resting place of the Holy Trolhena, and there he recovered both his speech and sight. Earl Harold went up to the Borg, and it was immediately surrendered to him. He proceeded at once to punish the inhabitants severely, and imposed heavy fines on those whom he considered most guilty of treachery to him, and he made all the Caithness men acknowledge him by oath as their lord, whether they liked it or not. Then he took possession of all the property belonging to the stewards, who had fled to the King of Scots. Then Earl Harold resided in Caithness, with many men. Chapter 116 The Stewards Now it is to be told of the stewards that they went six together to Scotland and saw the king during Advent. They were able to give particular intelligence of everything that had happened in Caithness during Earl Harold's stay. The king was highly enraged at hearing the news, but he said he would pay back double to those who had lost their own. The first day they stayed with the king, twenty-five ells of cloth and an English mark in ready money was given to each of them. They spent the Yuletide with the king and were treated well. After Yuletide, the king sent word to all the chiefs in his kingdom and collected a large army throughout the country, and with all these troops he went down to Caithness against Earl Harold. With this great army he pursued his journey until he came to Eistonstall, where Caithness and Sutherland meet. The camp of the King of Scots stretched far along the valleys. Earl Harold was in Caithness when he heard the news, and he drew troops together immediately. It is said he obtained six thousand men, and yet he had no chance to withstand the King of Scots. Then he sent men to sue him for peace. When this request was brought before the king, he said it was no use asking for peace, unless he had every fourth penny that was to be found in all the land of Caithness. When the earl received this message, he called together the inhabitants and chiefs and consulted with them. As, however, they had no means of resisting, it was agreed that the Caithness men should pay one-fourth of all their property to the King of Scots, except those men who had gone to see the King in winter. Earl Harold went out to the Orkneys, and was to have Caithness as he had had it before it was given to Earl Harold Uni by the King of Scots. Thorfinn, the son of Earl Harold, who was a hostage with the King of Scots, was blinded during these hostilities. When peace was made, the king returned to Scotland. Earl Harold was now the sole ruler of the Orkneys. In the later part of the days of Earl Harold, his brother-in-law Olaf and John Halkill's son raised a party in the Orkneys and went east to Norway against King Sverrir. They made Sigurd the son of King Magnus, Erling's son, their king. Many men of noble birth in the Orkneys joined this party, and it was very strong. They were for a while called Eyjarskegir, or Gulbeinar. They fought with King Sverrir and Flora Vugar and were beaten. 
both John and Olaf were killed, as also their king and most of their men. After this, King Sverre became a great enemy of Earl Harold, laying it as his charge that he was the cause of the party being raised. At last Earl Harold went from the west and Bishop Bjarni went with him. The Earl left his case without reservation to the decision of King Sverre. Then King Sverre took all of Jatland from Harold with its taxes and dues as a fine, and the Earls of Orkney have never had it since. Earl Harold was five winters old when he was made Earl, and for twenty winters he and Earl Roggenwald were together the Earls of Orkney. After Earl Roggenwald's death, he was forty-eight winters the Earl of Orkney, and he died in the second year of the reign of King Inge, Bard's son. Earl Harold's sons, John and David, succeeded him, and Heinrich, his son, had Ross in Scotland. The following have been the most powerful of the Earls of Orkney, according to the relation of those who have made histories of them. Sigurd Einstein's son, Earl Thorfinn Sigurd's son, and Earl Harold Madad's son. The brothers John and David ruled the land after their father, until David died from disease, the same year as Hakon Galen died in Norway. After that, John took the title of the Earl of all the Orkneys. Chapter 117 The Burning of Bishop Adam when Bishop John, he who was maimed by the order of Earl Harold, died in Caithness, a man who was called Adam was made bishop in his stead. None knew his family, because when he was a child he was found at the door of a certain church. The Caithness men found him rather exacting in office, and blamed a certain monk who was with him chiefly for that. It was an ancient custom that the bishop should receive a span of butter of every twenty cows. Every bondy in Caithness had to pay this. He more who had more cows, and he who had fewer, less, and so in proportion. Bishop Adam wished to increase the impost, and demanded a span of every fifteen cows, and when that had been obtained, he demanded it of twelve, and when this too was conceded, he demanded it of ten. But this was thought by all men most unreasonable. Then the Caithness men went to see Earl John, who was then in Caithness, and they complained of this before the Earl. He said he would have nothing to do with it, adding that the case was not a difficult one. There were two alternatives. This was not to be endured, yet he would not say what the other might be. Bishop Adam was at Hakirkia in Thorsdale, and Earl John was a short distance off. The Caithness men had a meeting on a hill above the village where the bishop was. Lawman Raffin was with the bishop, and begged him to spare the inhabitants, saying that otherwise he feared the consequences. The bishop asked him to be of good cheer, saying that the bondi would become quiet of their own accord. When a man was sent to Earl John, requesting him to make peace between them and the bishop, the earl would not meddle with the matter at all. Then the bondi ran down from the hill in great excitement, and when lawman Raffin saw it, he warned the bishop to take care of himself. The bishop and his friends were drinking in a loft there, and when the bondi arrived, the monk went to the door, and he was immediately hewn across the face and fell back into the room dead. When the bishop heard it, he said, This did not happen sooner than we might have expected, for his interference in our transactions has generally been unfortunate. Then Raffin asked the bishop to tell the bondi that he was willing to come to an agreement with them, and when they heard it, all the wiser men among them were very glad. Then the bishop went out to make an arrangement with them, 
but when he was seen by more wicked ones, who were the most furious, they seized the bishop and brought him into a small house and set fire to it. And the house burnt so quickly that those who wished to save the bishop could do nothing. Bishop Adam perished there. His body was not much burnt when it was found. Then the body was buried suitably and honourably, but those who had been the best friends of the bishop sent men to the King of Scots. Alexander, son of the holy King William, was then the King of Scotland. When he heard the tidings, he became so enraged that the punishments inflicted by him for the burning of the bishop by mutilation and death, confiscation and outlawry from the land, are still fresh in memory. And now, we cannot relate more distinctly than we have the events concerning the Earls of Orkney. <laughs>